trust that everyone had a good afternoon, and I'm glad that we can uh, assemble and worship again this evening. As you study through the 119th Psalm, if you look close enough, it doesn't take long before you begin to see glimpses of the humanity of the writer. Now, it's true that Psalm 119 is a psalm that is all about the Word of God, that it exalts God's Word, and in every passage, except for just a small handful even, the Bible is mentioned in some way. But in addition, as you look close at the passages that are found in this psalm, you begin to see, again, the small glimpses into the humanity of the inspired writer who's writing these things about the Bible. The ups and the downs in life that he faced as someone who loved God's Word. For example, in verse 22 and 23, the the writer will tell us that he was persecuted. In verse 61 and in verse 69, he will tell us about the abuse that he received from government. In verse 6 and in verse 22 and in verse 31, he will tell us about times in which his faith struggled. He will talk to us about the fact that he knew the temptation to give in and to conform to the ways of the world. In verse 17, he will tell us that he knew what it was like to fear for his life. And in verse 19 and 20, he will tell us that he knew what it was like to experience loneliness. That he knew what it was like to experience rejection and even abandonment. And, And all of these things are things that he describes as something that he has experienced because he is a person who knows God's word and who loves God's word and who lived God's word. So in reality, the psalmist, the human writer, the inspired writer of Psalm 119 wasn't really much different than any of us. In this psalm, he will describe the joys and the happiness of a faithful life But he'll also describe the difficulties and the heartaches that come along with a faithful life. And he will describe to us how it was that he navigated his way through the various troubles and the various trials that come for a person who loves the Word of God. I want us to consider this evening three points from Psalm 119, and we'll be looking at verses 17 through 32 tonight. Psalm 119, verses 17 to 32. We'll be skipping around through these verses. I want us to notice, first of all, the psalmist's struggle. The psalmist's struggle. And then second, we'll notice the psalmist's desire. It's kind of a tongue twister. The The psalmist's desire... And then third, the psalmist's determination. His struggle, his desire, and his determination. Let's look at his struggle. There are four things that he describes in these verses that have to do with struggles. Number one, there's alienation. Look at verse 19. 
He says, I am a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. I am a stranger in the earth. There are, there are two meanings, two ideas attached to this word stranger, or literally the word is alien. Number one, it describes the idea that we are passing through this life with little time. In fact, there are other passages in God's word that will say the same, like 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 15, or like 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 11. We are sojourners and pilgrims, the apostle Peter will say. We sing the song often, this world is not my home, I am just passing through. That's the idea of Psalm 119 and verse number 19 when he says, I am a stranger in the earth. I do not belong here, is his point. But implied in this is a time limit. I am a stranger in this world, and so I have little time to know and to live the word of God, which is why he says at the end of verse 19, do not hide your commandments from me. I am a stranger, I am in a place where I do not belong, and I only have a short time, so therefore, don't hide your commandments. Let me see them, let me know them, let me learn them, let me live them. Second, as he describes alienation, in addition to that having to do with the fact that we're here just for a short time, it has to do with the fact that while we're here, we're out of place. In verse 21, he says, you rebuke the proud, the cursed who stray from your commandments. And in verse 23, he says, princes also sit and speak against me, but your servant meditates on your statutes. In these two and in many other passages in this psalm, he will give specific examples of the fact that as a person who loved God's word and who lived God's word, he was very much out of place in this world and amongst the people of this world. And that truth is affirmed all throughout scripture, isn't it? That if you follow God's will, you are an outsider. Jesus said it in John chapter 15, verse 19 and 20. He said, you are in the world, but you're not of the world. And he says that the world will hate you because they hate me. Alienation. I am a stranger in this earth, the psalmist says. I am in a place in which I really do not belong. And all the while that I'm here, I am out of place. And so therefore, I long for your word and for the comfort that it provides, for the strength that it provides. How often do we pray to God as strangers and sojourners in this world, God, do not hide your commandments from me because your commandments, your will, that's what sustains me in this world. Augustine said, Thou hast formed us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. And that is the thought of one who knows what alienation is all about. Number two, slander. Alienation, verse 19, slander, verse 22 and 23. He says, remove from me reproach and contempt because I have kept your testimonies. Princes also sit and speak against me, but your servant meditates on your statutes. 
You see, in verse number 19, he's talking about not belonging in a place. He's talking about being a stranger in this world. But in verse 22 and 23, he's talking about being slandered. He's talking about untrue accusations being levied against him. We might even say it this way. It is the ascribing of false motives to the good that we might do in the service of God. First Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 17, Peter talks about the same thing. He talks about how we ought not think it strange when we are persecuted for righteousness' sake. He talks about the fact that when we suffer, that we ought not suffer as an evildoer, but we ought to suffer as one who does good. In other words, suffering just for the sake of suffering, that's not, uh, uh, that's not a good thing. But suffering for doing those things which are good and which are true and which are right, blessing is found in that kind of suffering. Keep in mind that in all of these passages, the psalmist is describing difficulties that come as a direct result of loving and living the word of God. And it is absolutely true that when a person loves and lives God's word, that there are going to be times that the world is going to slander them. There are going to be times that the world is going to throw at them false accusations, ascribe false motives to the good that they seek to do, and say things about them that are just not true. These things sometimes can even come from very high places. Notice verse 23. Princes, he says, also sit and speak against me. He's talking about those who live, or excuse me, those who work in government. Those who are the rulers, uh, those who are in positions of authority. It's not just anyone, not just anyone, verse number 22, who is levying reproach at him, but verse number 23, even those in the highest of places are reproaching him. That principle continues to be true even until this day. You know, our president campaigned under the promise or under the pledge to enact an equality act in the first 100 days of his presidency. And just a couple of weeks ago, with his approval, the House of Representatives passed the Equality Act, H.R. 5. And the interesting thing about this act is that it amends the 1964 Civil Rights Act to explicitly prevent discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. But here's the most troubling part. The language of the act explicitly states that it trumps the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which set a higher bar for the government to defend laws if people argued that those laws infringed on religious freedom. Now, what that means, practically speaking, is that the language of the bill says that those people who we've read about in the news over the last several years, like the bakery shop owner or the flower shop owner who refuses to provide services for a wedding for a homosexual couple, that under this bill, that will be illegal. They will not have the ability, in order to refu- the ability to refuse those services. That's persecution. And that's persecution from the high places. That's persecution in the way that the psalmist is is describing it in verse number 23. 
Princes speak against me, he says, because I am someone who holds and who values your word. We're going to be slandered. We're going to be persecuted, even at the highest levels. Those who live and who love God's word will be slandered. Look at number three, humiliation. Verse 25, humiliation. He says, my soul clings to the dust, verse 25. Revive me according to your word. The language here is is very interesting. When he uses the word cling in verse 25, the idea is cleaving to the dust or being so low to the ground that it's as if somebody took super glue and super glued your whole body face down into the dirt. And it is an image that is one of being humiliated, being shamed, or being embarrassed. And all of this is because of the life that he has chosen. Look at verse 28. Verse 28 describes sorrow. He says, my soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. The literal meaning of it is that he is weary with sorrows. Now why, why would a person like the psalmist describe himself as being weary with sorrow? Well, there could be a lot of reasons. It could be the sad state of the world. It could be that we feel sorrow because we mourn sin and the impact that it has in this world. That's what Jesus had in mind, I think, when he said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In Matthew chapter 5, he's talking about those who mourn because of sin and because of its consequences. It could be that we experience sorrow because of loss that's due to death. The death of a friend or the death of a loved one. It could be that we experience sorrow because of persecution. Whatever the case may be, depression and sorrow is sometimes very, very easy to find. And I think all of us understand what it is to experience this at least to some degree. And the psalmist describes it as well. Except when he describes sorrow, just like when he described humiliation and slander and alienation, again, all of these things are connected directly to the fact that he loves and that he lives the word of God. The psalmist's struggles. Now let's look at the psalmist's desire. In spite of all of these difficulties and these struggles that he has described, what does he desire? What does he want? First of all, he wants to live. In verse 17, notice he says, Deal bountifully with your servant so that I may live and keep your word. And then in verse 25, he says, My soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. Both of those passages have to do with life. But the psalmist is not just describing physical life. He is describing spiritual life. His point is that in all of the difficulty that he might experience as someone who loves the word of God, that his desire in the midst of all of this is to continue to find life In God's word. You can also look at verse 20 
and verse 24 and verse 30 and verse 31. That's verse 20, verse 24, verse 30 and verse 31. And all of those passages will elaborate on the psalmist's desire to live by God's word. In other words, he he wants the life that God's word gives. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, when he was tempted in the wilderness, it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In that passage, he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3, and his, the meaning of it is that it is more important to feed spiritually on God's word than it is to feed physically on food. You see, the psalmist, like Jesus, understood that it was more important for him to meditate on God's decrees and to obey them than it was for him to find a way to escape the world's contempt and hatred and all of the trouble that they were giving him. It was more important for him to be faithful than for him to experience some sort of relief. Because for him to experience some sort of relief, for him to escape the difficulty that was coming upon him, would mean that he would have to turn his back on God. And he wasn't willing to do that. He wants to live, but the living that he describes is not physical. He wants life that comes from the Word of God. His second desire, look at verse 18 and 19, is to have open eyes. His second desire is to have open eyes. He says, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. I am a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. It might interest you to know that the word open in the Hebrew text is actually used also in Numbers chapter 22 and verse 31 when it's describing the eyes of Balaam finally being opened and being able to see the uh, messenger, the angel of the Lord standing in the way of his, of his donkey. The word has to do with removing a veil or a covering. And so when the psalmist says, open my eyes, the point is that he wanted the blinders to be removed so that he could see clearly. Now, what does that mean for me? You know, sometimes it's difficult for us to see what God's Word is trying to communicate to us because we have blinders on. There are things that we have allowed to distract us and to affect us in such a way that we cannot see clearly the message that God is trying to communicate. It could be pride. Numbers chapter 9, or Nehemiah rather, chapter 9 and verse 16. It could be worldliness, Luke chapter 8 and verse 14. It could be a lack of love for the truth, 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 10. It could be a number of things. But what the the psalmist says in, in this particular passage in Psalm 119 is that he doesn't want there to be anything that keeps him from seeing and knowing God's word as he should. His desire is to have open eyes. His desire, number three, is to learn. Look at verse 26. I have declared my ways and you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Several times in Psalm 119, the psalmist will will describe his great desire to learn more of God's word. 
In conjunction with that, he had a desire to understand. Look at verse 27. Make me to understand the way of your precepts, so I shall meditate on your wonderful works. He not only wants to know God's word, but he wants to know the meaning of God's word. He wants to be able to plumb the depth of the riches of God's wisdom. Romans 11, verse 33. And then finally, look at verse 29. His desire is to abstain from lying. Remove me from the way of lying and grant me your law graciously, he says, verse number 29. Look back at verse 9 and verse number 11. Remember in verse 9, he asked, how can a young man cleanse his way? And the answer is by taking heed to the word of God. And in verse number 11, he said, your word I have hidden in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Now in verse number 28, he says, remove me from the way of lying. What's the connection? The connection is that he wants God's word to keep him from sin. Just like he said in verse 9 and in verse number 11. The psalmist has a great deal of struggle because he loves the word of God and because he lives it. And any time a person wants to live in the way that God's word says, they're going to struggle. But in the midst of all of these struggles, his desire is not to turn his back on God and to go further away from him. His desire is to be drawn closer to God. His desire is to know God and God's word even better. He wants to learn. He wants to understand. He wants to be pure. He wants to be able to apply the word of God, even to a greater degree. If you think about it, if you stop and think about that just for a moment, it's really really a mind-blowing thought to comprehend. Here is someone who is being persecuted Because he loves God's word and his reaction is to know and to live the thing that's causing him to be persecuted in a much better way than he has been in the past. We might call that being a glutton for punishment in some other circles in our our life and in our vernacular. But the psalmist understood, without doubt, the psalmist understood the true value, if I can use that word, the true value in suffering. He understood that not all accounts are settled in this life, and he understood that the real value in God's word is seen not just here in this world, but but it's seen in eternity. The dividends that will be reaped, the, 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 the fruit that will be produced by a person loving and living God's word will not only be measured in how it's produced here in this life, something to keep in mind. Now let's look at his determination. There are three things and then the lesson is yours. Look at verse 30, verse 31, and verse 32. The psalmist's determination number one is to choose the way of truth. In verse 30 he says, I have chosen the way of truth. Your judgments I have laid before me. Notice the key word here being chosen. You see, no one stumbles onto the right path. Obedience to the word of God is not an accident, and there will be no one in heaven who is surprised to find themselves there. The psalmist makes a determination to choose. The psalmist makes a determination to give effort 
to the way of truth. No one finds it and no one lives it by accident. Number two, look at verse 31. His second determination, verse 31, is to hold fast to the word of God. He says, I cling to your testimonies. O Lord, do not put me to shame. There's an interesting point here. In verse number 25, remember that he said, my soul clings to the dust. Well, the same word is being used here in verse number 31. In verse 25, the word has to do, you remember the superglue, it's like your body being superglued face down to the dirt. It's a, it's a sign of humiliation. But in this case, verse number, 20, verse number 31, he's saying, look, your word, it's superglued to me. I'm never going to let it go. I'm never going to let it out of my sight. I am going to hold on as tightly to the word of God as anyone could possibly imagine. That was his determination. I'm going to choose the way of truth and I am going to hold fast to the word of God. And then look at verse 32. His determination number three is to run the race. I will run the course of your commandments for you shall enlarge my heart. One of the problems, I think, with Christians is that sometimes we view the Christian life as a casual stroll instead of a race. But the Bible describes it as a race, doesn't it? Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 1, Wherefore, seeing as you are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with patience the race that is set before us, laying aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Second uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have run the race, Paul says. And henceforth there is a crown of righteousness laid up for me, and not for me only, but also to all them that love is appearing. Now keep in mind how this context started, verse 17 all the way through verse 32. In these two sections of Psalm 119, we have several verses that describe the struggle and the difficulty and the disappointment and the pain and loss that sometimes comes with being a person who, who lives God's word in their life. And we might think, you know, there has to come a point, from a human standpoint, there has to come a point where a person just throws in the towel and gives up and says, enough, I can't take it anymore. But that's not at all what we see in this psalmist, not at all. Instead, we see someone who has a desire to be drawn closer to God and to learn more and to know more and to live by the precepts of God's word. And we see someone who is bound and determined, no matter what, to always do what's right. To always hold God's word closely and to never let anything distract him from running and finishing the race. Verse 30, 31, and 32. So when trials come... When struggles come because 
I have chosen to love and to live the word of God in my life, how will I deal with those struggles? In whatever form they take, how will I deal with them? The psalmist gives us a perfect example. And his example is one who draws closer to God and who wants to know and to do more. He is, instead of being discouraged and dissuaded by his difficulty, he is simply encouraged and he is pushed to greater faithfulness. That's the true design of difficulty. Remember that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 to 12, Blessed are you, uh, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Key, uh, key word is the word blessed. And James said the same thing in James chapter 1. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. And the literal meaning is trial or testings of faith. Count it all joy when you fall into various testings of your faith. Knowing this, that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have her perfect work. Difficulty is not fun. But if we endure it, and if we approach it with the attitude of the psalmist, then we'll know the blessing that Jesus described in Matthew chapter 5 and the joy that James described in James chapter 1. The lesson is yours this evening. We're going to offer the Lord's invitation, and maybe there's someone here tonight that has a desire to respond. Perhaps you have a desire to become a Christian, to become a, a child of God. We would love nothing more than to help you, to assist you in doing that. Maybe, though, tonight you are a Christian and you're thinking about difficulty, you're thinking about trial. Maybe you're going through one right now in, in, as, we, as we speak. Maybe you stand in need of encouragement. Maybe, perhaps, you would like for us, give us the privilege of being able to pray with you and help you so that your faith would be strengthened through that difficulty instead of, instead of, the other, instead of uh, being made weak. Whatever the case may be, if we can help you, then we invite you to come forward and let it be known while we stand and sing together.